All right, good evening. If you would, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings 12. 1 Kings 12. Tonight's a review. Oh, I didn't get the head mount microphone. I'm sorry, guys. I was running behind and got my keys out of my pocket, and the flash drive with all this stuff up here fell out and flew into some leaves, and it's not very big, so it took me a minute, and I'm just a little disheveled before getting started. So last time, here we go, there we go. We're going to talk about Ahijah, the Shilonite, and, um, and Solomon, and Jeroboam. There we go, because we ended a little bit early, and I flew through that real fast. So this is kind of the very end, tail end of the United Kingdom. Next class, we're going to talk about Job. The next several classes, we've got a class uh, Sunday, Brent's teaching, and then we have a singing, and then the rest of the classes, which are going to be Job, uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. So it's going to be that wisdom literature area. All right, so the end of Solomon's life, what was he, what, what would characterize Solomon's actions towards the end of his life? He left, he left God. Yeah, what caused him, what, what is the impetus for him to do that? Wow. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. We're not told the percentage of how many of them were foreign. There's a certain amount of them that were, certainly not all of them, all 1,000, but a lot of them were. And what did they kind of get Solomon off into doing? Worshipping idols. We looked at those this past uh, Lord's Day morning. Gods like Chemosh, which was a memory serves me, a Moabite military god or idol. We didn't really like to call them gods, but that's what they sometimes call an uh, idol. Uh, there was the, the idol Milcom, uh, or there's another name for that. Somebody may come up with it. Um, Moloch, thank you. Moloch, Molech, Milcom, all pretty much the same um, idol. And there's another one, um, Asherah. Um, the multiple forms of that word, Asherah, which would be um, cult female prostitution involved in that worship, kind of similar to Baal worship for the, for the men. So what did God say he was going to do? He'd already told Solomon this on a couple of occasions. There in chapter 3, chapter 9. He said, I'll, I'll remain with you, and you, you're going to be my king, you're going to be my guy, but the minute the, when you start doing this, I'm going to remove, remove you from that. What is that? When you start worshiping these other gods, that's going to happen. So we do know that it happened. We'll talk about it a little more tonight if we have time at the end. But a certain man is given sort of the... The, I guess you'd say the keys of the northern ten tribes of, of uh, Israel. Now, who was that? The name is Jeroboam. So where did, how did Solomon and Jeroboam kind of come into contact with each other? We talked about that this past Lord's Day morning briefly. Yeah, he did flee from him. How did they meet, though? 
this is kind of the little, I guess, the little known origin story, you might say. So he's, uh, remember when Solomon has all these building projects, and kind of towards the end, he, he had, there's this hole that had been created, I guess you'd say, or accidentally somehow, we're not told exactly how, but in the wall of the city of David. And so Solomon decides he's going to hire um, this particular family, it's the Ephraimites and the Manassites, to repair it. And Jeroboam shows himself to be someone that he can trust with this task, so he puts him his head over that uh, whole affair. When it's over and Jeroboam's going home, he's overtaken in a field by Ahijah, the, the Shilonite. And um, that's what we talked about last. This is the, the slide from that class. So they were repairing the city wall of the city of David. And he met him on the road and he tore his, his uh, robe into 10 pieces, or 12 pieces rather. And he gave Jeroboam 10. What did that represent? Yeah, we're going, to tear, we're going to tear some tribes away from, from Solomon and give them to you. And he gets this promise from God, similar to what David had been promised, similar to what had been promised to Solomon earlier. And what is that? I'll be with you as long as you obey me, as long as you worship me according to the, according to the word of God, so to speak. I'm going to be with you and I'll establish your kingdom and your throne. Well, he didn't do that. He didn't make it very long at all, as we'll see coming up in the next, uh, next set of classes after, after uh, this one is over next quarter, I guess. Jeroboam's going to be made king over Israel. The house of David's going to retain one tribe that would be Judah. We know they're going to kind of absorb uh, Benjamin as it comes about. And really all of the, the Levites are going to kind of matriculate down as well because that's where the worship, the true worship of God takes place is inside of Judah. So we want to remember all of that, all of that stuff. So uh, he said, I will afflict the sins of David because of this, but not forever. We talked about that. So uh, enough there. Does anybody have any thoughts or, or questions about what goes on with him? We already talked about him going off into hiding because Solomon hears about this. I don't know if it's a hijah telling him what had happened and what God had wanted him to do, but he flees into Egypt where he stays till, till Solomon's dead, and then he comes back under the reign of Jeroboam, and that's when the split actually takes place. So y'all go over that in the next, next quarter. All right, so I wasn't real sure how far to take back a review of the United Kingdom. I think probably to where I started teaching and where Brent started teaching because he taught the first class, which would be 2 Samuel 13, but we're going to back all the way up to the, to the United Kingdom. Uh, interesting thing about what's, what's the length of reigns of the United Kings? Somebody said 40 each. It's real easy to remember. It's one of the easiest things uh, that there is. So Saul, these are approximated dates, and they're pretty much uh, agreed upon by scholars that about 1050 B.C. to 1010 B.C. would be Saul's reign. He reigned for 40 years. So David, 1010 to 970 B.C., and then uh, Solomon from 970 to about 930 B.C. And there's this place in 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1. Um, if you want to turn there and just look at that real quick. I hope I'm right on that. I'm pulling that right out of the air in my memory. This is when the, the house of the Lord began being built. 
And it came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Zeev, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. So we come up, we use these dates, we're coming up with him starting the house of the Lord in, in 966, count back 480 years. So 966, 500 years would be uh, 1466, 1446 is what you would come up with when they came out of the land of Egypt. So we're not, we're not meant to guess that, I guess. And uh, there's a lot of reasons that that date actually makes sense for them coming out of the land of Egypt. So there's your overall United, United Kingdom. Talk about Saul's reign a little bit. Um, of course, under Saul, they're at war with the Philistines for his entire reign, right? And they've been at war with the Philistines many times before uh, this. Where was... Where were the Philistines, or the country called Philistia? Yes, there you go. It's on the coast. So if you're looking at them on a map, you look to the left or look towards the west, there they are, right on the coast, the southeastern, uh, southwestern, rather, part of Israel. So they're at war with them for quite a long time. There are several cities of the Philistines um, that are there. Chapter 13 talks about them being at war with them. Chapter 17, which records uh, the war with where Goliath is making his challenge in the valley between the two armies. And then uh, chapter 28, 29, 30, and 31 is where Saul finally is killed in battle in, in chapter 31 uh, against the Philistines. So he's at war with them for his basically his whole life, his whole, his whole time in office, you might say. And there were key instances here of disobedience under Saul's reign. He started off really good. He was head and shoulders above the people. He looked like a king. He began acting like a king, didn't he? First thing he did was go back to his own farm and work. Well, then trouble comes. Who did the first trouble for Saul come from? I know we all know this. His name means snake, by the way. It's Nahash the Ammonite. Nahash the Ammonite. Remember, he wanted to take the men of Jabesh-Gilead, put them under him, and he said, what I'm going to do is you, you submit to me, and I'll put out all your right eyes. Well, that's a great deal, isn't it? Yeah, that's not very good. It's not, it's not like if you lose, I'll put out your right eye. No, just go ahead and submit. I'll put your right eye out. And uh, good reasons that he, would, that, they would, that he would do that to them. It would make them defenseless in battle if you're right-handed. Um, but then also, he uh, didn't wait for Samuel, chapter 13, remember? Or that's chapter, chapter 14, actually, is where he didn't wait for Samuel to come and make the offering. He's waiting to go to battle against the Philistines. Samuel delays. People are running away from Saul. So he goes ahead and he offers the sacrifice up himself. And then in chapter 14, that was chapter 13. Chapter 14, he also does something that's very foolish. I don't know that you could say this is going against God necessarily, but it was a very foolish thing. He makes a vow. They're actually winning this in a battle against the Philistines. And he makes a vow. What's the vow? Anybody remember? Yeah, we're at war. Don't eat anything until they're completely wiped out. Well, who knows how long that's going to be. And it, it turned out very, very bad. I'm not going to go into all the particulars. You can read about that in chapter 14 if you'd like. Well, chapter 15, he comes up and he fails another test. The time for the Amalekites to pay for the sins that they've committed over the years, especially the sins against Israel, has come to pass. And 
God sends Samuel to go tell Saul, go and destroy the, the Amalekites completely. Does he do that? Yeah, he's it's kind of kind of iffy. He he definitely takes them down way down a lot of pegs, but he doesn't completely destroy them. They keep all the animals alive, and King Agag is kept alive. What happens to King Agag at the end of chapter fifteen? He's hacked to pieces by Samuel himself there at Gilgal, just to fulfill what God had said to do completely. So. Saul's got all these problems of disobedience, and it causes God to remove him from being the king over the people. Well, then he develops this paranoia over David. Because Why does he develop this paranoia? What does he hear? He's going to be king. He's going to be king, yeah. yeah. It starts when he hears David coming back from battle against the Philistines. And the ladies chanting, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. David's way up here. Saul's underneath him in that chant. David's a superstar. So Samuel, uh, Saul basically says, what more can he have but the kingdom? So he tries to pin him to the wall a few times while David's playing his harp, which is why, how they came to meet, actually. And basically a third of the book of 1 Samuel records Saul chasing David from about chapter 20 through chapter 30, 31, somewhere in there. So that's the rest of Saul's days. He comes to his final in battle, as we said, on Mount Gilboa with his three sons, Jonathan being one of them, and uh, they are killed in battle. All right, so David brings us to David in his early years there in Second Samuel, really, his, his very early years spent running from Saul. A lot of it's spent different places, places like Ziklag, which is a, Phil, a city of the Philistines, hiding out there at the end of 1 Samuel. Uh, he spends it at the, the oasis down at En Gedi and uh, places like that. Well, in his early years, you know, he comes to reign after Saul is dead. And the scriptures tell us he reigns for seven and a half years at Hebron. Now, why Hebron? Why not Jerusalem? What's that? Yeah, he said, and, and he ends up in Hebron. But Jerusalem's not even a city of Israel yet. It's still under Jebusite power. And remember, he's going to take that into, I think it's 2 Samuel chapter 5. So he reigns for about seven and a half years at Hebron itself. Now, during that, and he reigns 33 years in Jerusalem. He's at war with Saul's house for how many years after, after Saul dies? Only two years, right? What's the, king, what's the king's name? Ishbosheth is his name. These are wonderful baby names a lot of these guys have. So, um, I'm so glad my granddaughter is not named something crazy like this, but something with the Bible names, you know. But uh, he's at war with Saul's house for two years. Ishbosheth is the one. Where does Ishbosheth reign? What's the city he's stationed in, rather? Yeah, Mahanaim. I think that's how you say it. Um, so Mahanaim. Um, and remember later, these, thing, these things tend to come back full circle. When, when uh, Absalom takes over, where does he first claim to reign from? Hebron. That's where David started. Then he comes to Jerusalem. Well, David flees, and then where is David reigning from? 
Mahanaim. That's when Solomon, when uh, when Absalom is on the throne in Jerusalem. So uh, these they're important cities. I haven't figured out exactly why they they matriculate to those particular cities. Gibeon is another one that you see brought up over and over again. So something I'm going to study after I've got a little time, and I'm not trying to prepare for class. The capital, of course, has moved to Jerusalem. Remember. It's a Jebusite city, it's on a hill, easily defendable, and um, it's captured by Joab from the Jebusites under the direction of David. David says, whoever takes it needs to do so by what? By the water shaft. I see it's being said over here, the water shaft. There's this spring and there's a, there's a secret passage where you can pop right up inside the city wall. So that's the way they take it. That's been discovered, it's an archeological thing. You can go see it if you you care to go to Jerusalem these days. All right, so more of David's early years. David, of course, wants to build the temple. That's recorded for us uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I'm not reading a lot of stuff, and I'm trying to remember where all this stuff is. But he plans to build the temple, and he's told he can't. He's not going to be the one that's able to do that. Now, why is he told that? You're a man of war, man of bloodshed. Now, David actually gets the country to where it is a country of peace, so Solomon can come on the throne and be at peace at least after the first year. We remember Solomon's first couple of months in reigning are not what you would call peaceful. Remember Joab being put to death at the altar, which I think is in Gibeon at the time. Um, and there's another one, his brother Adonijah, slain as well by Benaiah, um, Abiathar being removed, Shimei being killed. Um, those that opposed David as he was fleeing from Jerusalem. So he tells him, no, your son's going to build it, but he does, how does he help? How does David help the situation? Yeah, he gathers all this material up and even forms alliances with people like Hiram of uh, Tyre and Sidon uh, to supply wood and things like that. So he puts a lot of stuff in place where it will go more seamlessly. So you can read about that in chapter 7. Um, as I said, he subdues the surrounding nations, We're talking about nations like Philistia. You don't read about them causing problems under Solomon or even later under David. Uh, the Moabites, those of uh, Zobah, not sure exactly where Zobah is. It's not a real big presence on the map, but it's, uh, it's mentioned multiple times. And I don't know if that's, we just don't know where that is or, or what. Aram, which would be the area of Syria. So we're familiar with that even today. And the Ammonites. So, and he sinned after these things. While this was going on, while he was trying to subdue the surrounding nations, he commits a grievous sin by taking Bathsheba, which was a married woman, married to Uriah the Hittite. Then she becomes pregnant with his child, and he tries to cover it up by murdering Uriah while he's at war against Reba, a city of the Ammonites, while David is back home, uh, basically getting in trouble uh, with, with the Lord for these things. So, anybody have any thoughts or questions so far? So I think that catches us up to where this class started, which would be chapter 13, or almost. One more slide, I guess. That brings us to this curse on David. He's not going to get away with it. He's, he's done a pretty good job of getting away with it on a human level. If it was only human judges involved, he's, he's got this cat in the bag. But what happens? Somebody brings it up to him. 
Nathan the prophet. Yeah. You ever wonder why I named my third son Nathan? It's to remind me to remember, remember your place. So this curse on David. Nathan comes to him and tells him this story about a, about a lamb. You can read about that in chapter 12 of, a, of 2 Samuel. But basically, David has told this story. He gets mad about it and finds out that you're doing the same thing on a, on a certain level, although what you're, you've done is worse. We're talking about lambs versus people, right? And so he's told four things are going to happen to him, and that's the rest of the story of David. The sword shall never depart from your house. Of course, we can see that in what way coming up. The, Absalom is the, that's the biggest way, right? Um, the sword just kind of stays with him for a period of years, right? So he, Am, Amnon rapes Tamar, two years past, and then Absalom kills him, then he flees, three years he's gone, then he comes back for two years, and he's kind of there without David seeing him, then he's building a following for about four years. This thing takes a long time for him to, to come to this particular point, but the sword will never depart from your house. And then he says, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. Where's Absalom again? That's part of your house, and this evil is going to come against you from it. And then you're going to have brother against brother. Solomon is going to kill your, his older brother, Adonijah, when David dies. Um, all kind of stuff that takes place there. He says, I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Also coming from Absalom in chapter 15, uh, or maybe it's chapter 16, somewhere in there. And the child that is born to you shall surely die. And the, the, we read that part in, uh, as it happens in chapter 12, and it kind of is very heart-wrenching, but we can see that uh, how David views the whole thing. I shall not, uh, he shall not come back to me, I shall go to him, basically when I, when I die. And that's a very good thing for us to contemplate and think about. Any questions? Yes? Yeah, uh, you just bring to our memories uh, the life of Nathan. And I believe it's a very interesting character in the Bible. Through all the history of mankind, God has always been looking for those particular kinds of people. Right. Yeah. He cannot shake his hands when he needs to say what he, as God says, go and tell David and tell him, you know, the truth. Sometimes we hesitate to say that. So it's a good, uh, very good lesson for us. That's true. He's, he exhibited these, the, he's talking about Nathan, the prophet, which came to David, but he's also going to come to David later with Bathsheba saying, hey, this is what Adonijah is doing. That's not really what, that's not right. That's not what you said would happen. It's not what God told you. But he... He knows what needs to be said, and he goes ahead and says it, but he, he does so in a certain manner. We, gotta, we have to, to, to get to where we do that. Sometimes when we, when, when we need to say something to someone, someone's on the wrong path, we want to sit on our hands for too long and um, thinking we're going to come across as mean or something like that. And, and um, you know, 
Somebody told me one, one time, uh, aren't you glad that someone made you mad? And I can say, yeah, I'm kind of glad that somebody made me mad at some point in my past life. I didn't become a Christian until I was 18. And somebody said some difficult things. They, they said it out of love. It took me a few days to realize that. Um, but very good point. Uh, Nathan would make a great character, character study just to study all his, his actions. Along with the other one we talked about, Joab, he's a, a different kind of character, but um, a lot of good things to look at like that. Thank you for the comment. I think this brings us to where we started this class. So I'm just going to go till the bell, and I'll ask you all if you all got any questions. This really starts the Absalom saga here in chapter 13, right? Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister, so it starts off with her. Her name was Tamar. Um, Where's the other place that Tamar is mentioned in the scriptures before this? We know there's one after because Solomon names, or Absalom names his daughter Tamar. But where is it before that? It's Judah's daughter-in-law that he refuses to give the next son to. And so she pretends to be a harlot and she becomes pregnant with Judah's child. And that's back in Genesis chapter 38. So this Absalom saga starts... Amnon, that's David's oldest son, violates, he rapes Tamar, which, whose sister is Tamar? We know he's Abs she's Absalom's half-sister, but whose full sister is she? It's Absalom's full sister. You can look that up, I think it's chapter 3 and verse 3 that talks about who these kids all belong to. Um, so Absalom kills Amnon. He waits two full years before he does that. Um, so you can see him stewing on things. Um, and and I, I may have said this when we were going through this. He's Absalom, remember when, he, when he's trying to fool the people. I'm going to step forward a little bit. He comes, but he's exiled for three years in Gesher. We talked about that. He's with his grandfather. It's his mother's father. Um, Absalom's brought back, and he sees David two years after that. So it's been a long time. Then Absalom cultivates a following in Israel for four years. How does he do that? What does he do? Yeah, he's, he's, very, he's very specific about it. If you're, go, you're coming to get a judgment from the king, basically the idea, so he's sitting out there waiting on him, you're going to be disappointed in what you get. If I were king, you wouldn't be disappointed. And he's basically saying this, putting forth this idea that David is not very good at judgments and making a decision. And when you think about it, and I don't mean any disrespect, but for, for what he sees in life, he's not wrong, right? He, he, you get the idea that when this happened with Tamar and Amnon, he waited. And what did David do? He didn't do anything. Then when it was two years passed, then he kills him, and he gets chased away. David just constantly non-acting during these few years I think there's about 11 years or so. So Absalom cultivates that following in Israel for four years. And the rebellion of Absalom, it takes place, I did my best to try to figure out when this was. Uh, it's about the 30th, 31st year, somewhere in there, of David's reign. David's somewhere around 50 years old. Just put Absalom in around the 25, 26, 27 year, year old range. Some of those are kind of hard to figure out. 
Um, so it continues. Absalom then goes and declares himself king at Hebron. We talked about that already. And David flees Jerusalem because Absalom's going to come up to Jerusalem and take over there. Then we see David, as he flees Jerusalem, it's, it's like a full chapter, maybe a chapter and a half, of the events that take place on the way out. What are some of those that y'all remember as we were going through there? Some things that happened. Somebody give me one. Shimmy, I throw on rocks. Yeah, so you just got to say something like that. Yeah, we remember it. Shimmy, I had money. He was, that, that was rough. And Shimmy, I was one that, you know, he, he spoke his mind. He was dead wrong about what he was doing. But imagine this guy on the other side of the valley throwing rocks and hurling insults at the king with all his men out here. And remember, it was Abishai that said, why are you letting him speak to you that way? You just say the word. I'll go over there and I'll cut off his head and we'll be done with it. And David's like, no. What, what's David's reasoning for not letting him do that? Yeah, he says, this, maybe it's from God, my own son has ran me out of my home. Let this guy do what he's going to do. God will sort it out, is basically what he said about it. Absalom comes in, and just like the, what has been told to him by Nathan, he violates David's concubines, that he, the ten concubines that he's left there to keep the house. Totally terrible and sad situation. Um, to think about. Then David talks about him planning a spy network. So let's talk about a few more of the, the, the things that happen on the way out. We've talked about, talked about Shimei. There's a couple more. Hushai, the archite, comes to him and wants to go with him. And what does David tell him to do? He said, I want you to go back into to Jerusalem and you pretend you're on Absalom's side and you try to counter the advice that this other guy, Ahithophel, is going to give, and it's going to be good. Why, why do I say that that advice was going to be good? What was said about the advice of Ahithophel at the time? <laughs> it's like the oracles of God. It's, it's almost like God spoke is sort of the way it puts it for us. So he wants him to be on his side, but under, under that. Who else is part of the spy network? We've got two priests, right? Zadok and Abiathar. Abiathar is going to be a little bit of a disappointment at the end of David's life, but um, Zadok is, is there with him, and their sons, Jonathan and Ahimeaz, is part of it as well. Um, Ziba is part of that entourage that goes with David on the way out. Somebody remind me who Ziba is. Yeah, there's this Mephibosheth. Remember, David wants to do kindness to the house of Saul if there's anybody left, right? And so they tell him, well, Mephibosheth's left. That's Jonathan's son. He, was, he became lame in his feet when his nurse picked him up to run with him and fell with him, and now he's, he's crippled. And uh, David goes to him and has him in his house but puts Ziba over the house of Mephibosheth to take care of things. And so... Ziba comes and joins David on the way out and tells him Mephibosheth is, is staying behind. He thinks the, the kingdom's going to be restored to his family, basically. And we talked about that a, a good bit in class. I don't really know how to view that. I still don't. 
it's one of those things you don't know who's right, who's telling the truth, and it doesn't really come out in the wash, at least not that I could see. All right, so plan that spy network, and as I said, headquarters, he goes all the way over to Mahanaim after he gets word from the spies of what's going to happen. Now, in the meantime, as he's going out, Hushai goes back over, um, Absalom comes in, lays with the concubines, makes plans for what he's going to do. Here's Ahithophel's advice, which is, what is Ahithophel's advice for him to do, for Absalom to do? It's very personal. Ahithophel's real personal with this. <laughs> yeah, he does. It's, there's a lot of me's in there, a lot of eyes. Let me take 12,000 men. I will pursue him. I will get him today. I will kill the king and the king only, and I will bring everybody back. And how was, how's Ahithophel fit into this David situation? Somebody has said this already. He's related to somebody. That person. Bathsheba. He's related. I think it's the, the father of Bathsheba. Is that right? Yeah. You can see that there at the end of just your cursory reading or digging in, I guess. It's not cursory. Digging into the reading there at the end of Second Samuel um, when it talks about David some more. So Ahithophel gives that advice. That's pretty good. And Hushai counters and says, if you try to take David right now, he's like a, he's like a mom robbed of her cubs, mama bear robbed of her cubs. They're mighty men. You don't stand a chance against them if you go with that few people right now. And you're not going to find David anyway. They're going to protect him. They're going to put him in some cave somewhere. You're not going to get him. Better to gather all the army and Absalom, you lead him out. He kind of appeals to Absalom there. And so Absalom says, that's good advice. What happens to Ahithophel after that? Yeah, he's like, I can see where this thing's going. Um, if, if, I, if I stay alive, I'm going to be at best considered a traitor. So I'm just going to get rid of myself right now and, and go away. So he, he kills himself um, before any of this even takes place. David hears the news about this from the spy network, and then he goes on and crosses the river and goes to Mahanaim, and that's where he sets up camp. So they're a good distance away. He is north of the forest of Ephraim, which is where their battle is going to take place later. Uh, so Absalom's thing continues. Hushai counters Ahithophel. Absalom then does lead Israel against David. Um, things don't go so well, right? It says the forest devours as many as the sword did when they went to battle against each other. There's only like four verses from when it starts to when Absalom's hanging in a tree. So it's, it's pretty, it doesn't record a whole lot there, um, but it does kind of let you know this takes place pretty quickly. Absalom, of course, is caught in the tree as uh, his, his mule runs under it. And you get the idea his hair's caught in the tree. And then Joab ends up being the one to, to kill him and his armor bearers surround him and finish the job off. And what's so bad about that? I mean, it seems like what you would expect, right? This is a traitor. He's ran the king out of town and done all these things. But what had he been instructed don't you know, deal kindly with the young man Absalom on my account. And it shows you Joab didn't care anything about David and what David wanted. This is, this is the king, however. So David takes his time and 
he mourns over Absalom, and it's really a time of re, what should be rejoicing. The, 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 right, the rightful king has won the battle, and he's going to come back, but he's mourning Absalom at this time. Joab, of course, rebukes him and says, if you don't stop this, you won't have anybody left to follow you, so you need to make things right. Then we're told, this is 2 Samuel, about chapter 17, I believe, or chapter 18. Or, no, we're, we're ahead in chapter 19. My bad, chapter 19. If you just want to be looking along there. The people recall David to the throne. He's still over at Mahanaim. Jerusalem sits empty, and the people finally get it together and ask him to come over. And he's still not through with things. There's still some problems going on. Uh, in this whole thing with Absalom, there's this backdrop of the house of Saul. There being hope among the house of Saul that they're going to be set up in the, king's, in the king's spot again. We've heard it mentioned with Mephibosheth, Shimei is of, of the house of Saul, and then there's this other guy, Sheba, who gets run out of town. Um, and Sheba is put down, the Sheba Rebellion is put down. Uh, by his head being thrown over a city wall in northern, the northern part of Israel as he runs. So we're not really told a whole lot in that period between the end of Absalom and the end of David's life. There's just not a lot recorded there. There's a lot there in the text from, say, chapter 21 through 24, but I do believe if you read a lot of that stuff that that takes place early on in David's life. Um, these battles with the giants and things like that appear to be better place, if not when he's on the run or when he's early on in Hebron or something like that. So it's something to look at. But we're at Solomon reigning. Of course, David's at the end of his life. This is 1 Kings chapter 1. Adonijah assumes the kingdom. Why would he think to do that? He's the fourth son of David, by the way. Amnon, he's dead. Chiliab, we'll never hear from him again. After it lists that he's born, he's just not. I, don't, I guess he died when he was young or something. Absalom is dead, so that leaves Adonijah. He's the rightful, what you would assume, the rightful heir to the throne, being the oldest son that's living. But what's the monkey wrench there is, well, God's already told you who's going to be the next king, and that's going to be Solomon. So he's assuming the kingdom. Bathsheba and Nathan inform David. This is what's going on. And uh, he... Yes. Oh, sorry. thought somebody was needing to say something. So he takes Nathan and tells him, go and anoint Solomon in the Gihon spring. That's the spring right outside. That's the spring that the water shaft is part of that we talked about earlier. So he anoints him, and then after that, Solomon, he tells Solomon what to do to secure the throne. David dies, and Solomon goes about securing the throne. Adonijah He's executed later. He's not executed at first, right? He's given a chance, but he blows it. What does he, what does he do? How does he blow that? He, he, asks for, he asks for Abishag. That's David's final wife. Give her to me as a wife. David never knew her, right? Um, but that's, Solomon says, that's just like asking to be king. I mean, come on. Abiathar, he's... Dismissed from the priesthood. Remember when we came into contact with Abiathar? We talked about that a couple of classes back. It was when David fled from Saul and he comes to Nob or Nob. 
I can't remember which one it is. But then there's 185 priests that wear the linen ephod and they're killed by Doeg the Edomite. One of them is Abiathar's uh, father and Abiathar flees and joins David. But he's a priest and so he comes to it. Joab's executed, Shimei's executed. Um, uh, we went over all this other stuff recently. My apologies for not getting all the way through, but uh, you did great. Thank you so much for your attention. And um, for next class is Job. Let's see. Get to that. Make sure that's right because I put it on here. A lot of slides I didn't get to. I'm sorry. Job will be Sunday, this particular, this coming Sunday. Thank you very much.